listening to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast with your hosts, John and Darren. Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And for today's episode, we are going to be discussing Ozzy Osbourne's third studio album, Bark at the Moon. Released in November of 1983, this would be the first album to feature guitarist Jakey Lee. Drum duties would be handled by Tommy Aldridge, and Bob Daisley would return to play bass on the album, as well as Don Airy, who played keyboards. The album would mark a turn towards a more keyboard-driven sound, but along with its Hammer Horror-style album cover, it would also check off many of the boxes expected from an Ozzy album at this point. With MTV in full flight, videos would be made for the singles Bark at the Moon and So Tired. The album would prove to be a massive success, driving Ozzy's solo career to the top of the current heavy metal scene. All right, Darren, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Bark at the Moon. What are your thoughts on this album and your early memories of hearing this record for the first time? Well, I was really into Ozzy, really into Ozzy. Um, Diary of a Madman really sealed the deal for me uh, while I was listening to Ozzy, also getting into the uh, Ozzy era Sabbath stuff. So that was pretty much my whole musical world was centered around Ozzy and Sabbath. And my first concert, I probably talked about this before, was was Diary of a Madman. And um, as much as I was into Ozzy prior to that concert, I... After that concert, I was just completely just all in. I mean, it was all about Ozzy. I just had such an amazing experience seeing Ozzy in concert from the stage set to hearing the songs live and everything about it. It just really fueled uh, my passion for, for Ozzy Osbourne. So a little while later, um, one of the record stores I would, I would go to had where they would sell issues of Kerrang! magazine. And I remember seeing, well, I was patiently waiting for something new to come out as far as the next Ozzy Osbourne record. And lo and behold, on the issue of Kerrang! it had Ozzy. It's a, I actually have the issue somewhere in the house here, but I, I, if memory serves, it had the Ozzy logo and it had him made up like a werewolf with his arms in the air and it, Krang logo on it and I reached for the magazine and I started flipping through the pages and and it was talking about this new album called Bark at the Moon and then prior to that I bought an issue of Kerrang because I was while Ozzy hadn't released anything it was following his misadventures lineup changes shaved head uh the, the speak of the devil tour Pete Way playing some shows over in England um Don Costa, Krang Magazine had uh, an article about Ozzy's new band. And that's where I first saw a picture of Jake. I saw a picture of, of Don Costa. Um, so the lineup was kind of a little bit ambiguous at that time because I think Don Costa was fired shortly after. And then they announced that uh, Bob Daisley was in the band. Bob Daisley was writing, helping, helping Ozzy write the record with Jakey Lee. 
always in this article that came out by a Krang magazine shortly before the album came out. Really hyped the album out. The descriptions of the songs, uh, while they were somewhat vague, uh, hinted at it being a progression, but still being heavy and, and dark and, and, and really uh, kind of demonic and, and, and taking all the excitement that built up on Diary of Madman and taking it to the next level. And by all indications from the pictures uh, of Ozzy made up like the werewolf, I mean, man, I, I, this is going to be excellent. This is really going to be great. And I couldn't wait. A little while later, the album dropped at the record store. I saw the album cover. I thought it was cool. It was everything I'd hoped it would be. Took the record home. First song, Bark at the Moon. It was cool. I liked it. I liked the fast riff. It was pretty heavy. Uh, subject matter was what I expected. Chorus was a little strange, just the way that it just, the music just kind of stopped and Ozzy just said, Bark at the Moon. And then it kicked back into it. It was kind of like, okay, well, that was weird. But, you know, the lyrics and, and everything, the subject matter was, was cool. Um, but as it, as it went on, it just seemed like it was on the lighter side of things. And, uh, and it, and it kind of was. I mean, the choruses were a little sugar-coated. The, the presence of keyboards was like, it, it was so profound and profoundly different from the use of keyboards in Blizzard and Diary. Like they were pushed up in the front and it just gave everything, the whole vibe of the record, it just gave it a much lighter sound. So it, it, was, it was kind of ironic because the album cover hinted at something that was going to be really heavy and dark, but the music was almost pretty much the opposite of that. I mean, it was, a, it was overall, it was, it was, I mean, there's some similarities. When we go song to song, you know, you can, you can make comparisons between some of the songs on Bark the Moon and some of the songs on of Oz or Diary of a Madman. There's similarities there, but where in, in Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman, the, the lighter songs were balanced by heavier songs. On Bark at the Moon, the lighter songs weren't really balanced by anything that was that much heavier. Um, they were maybe a little bit heavier, but not much. Um, it, was a, it was a lot more commercial sounding um so i mean to put it in a nutshell yeah i was i was disappointed i and maybe it was because of what my expectations were based on the imagery the photographs the cover art all that stuff maybe maybe that played too much into it because i think that the music itself was was a lot different than how it was presented um it's not a bad album but it's probably my my least favorite solo Ozzy record. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't hate it. I don't listen to it very often. Um, you know, I mean, these days I would probably reach for Black Rain before I would grab Bark at the Moon. I mean, that's that, that's how little attachment I have to Bark at the Moon. It, it's almost like when I when we talked about Born Again, you know, the, the album Born Again by Black Sabbath frustrated me because I really wanted to 
to like it a lot more, but it was it was hard because I could it, the music was was wasn't that audible. It was hard to really discern what was going on. But I did know and I appreciated that the music of Born Again was authentically heavy and dark. It's a little difficult to hear, but it represented Black Sabbath more accurately than I felt Bark at the Moon, even though there was the production is clear as a bell. The music sort of misrepresented the image of Ozzy or the legacy. Of, I, I don't know if you could call it a legacy at this point because we're only three albums deep, but the conception of, of Ozzy Osbourne and the way he was built up and, and, and the things that were established that made his persona was almost betrayed by the music of Bark at the Moon. It, it, he almost, it, we'll go song to song, but it's like he almost like, hey, you know, don't think I'm, I'm a bad guy. I, I'm not. I, I'm no different from you. And, you know, I'm just a rock and roll rebel. And I'm so tired because I'm in love. And, and, you know, it's just like, whoa, wait a minute. Where's this, where's this, you know, this dark, demonic, crazy madman, the the lyrics, which he wasn't responsible for anyway, but he never was, but the lyrics still established him or or in, in our minds, not knowing who was writing what, but as kids, the lyrics that were in Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman built up this Ozzy character, built up this persona. And it was almost as though the lyrics in Bark the Moon sort of tore it down in spite of the way that he was, it was built up on the album cover. So it was, it was a strange, a strange dynamic. And overall, I was disappointed. I, I'm still disappointed. You know, I, I still try to get, I'll put this album on and I'll still think, all right, this is going to be, this is, is going to be the time that I'm going to really like this album. And you know, it, it's <laughs> 1983 to 2022. It, it's been a long time and it hasn't happened yet. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it, it, it's never going to happen. So I, I, I've let go of it. But as it is, it's okay. Yeah, well, for me, it's, you know, it was similar. I was fully invested in Ozzy. I was fully invested in Black Sabbath at this point. I'm pretty sure I had all the Sabbath records that were out at that time. I had, of course, I had Blizzard and I had Diary. So I was sort of caught up with all the back catalog of my my two favorite bands. And so I was anticipating Bark at the Moon. I was you know, looking forward to it. I was extremely disappointed, upset about the death of Randy Rhodes, didn't know where the band was going to go from there. Uh, I didn't have quite the access to the cool ma- hip magazines like Kerrang and stuff. I was sort of relegated to like Hit Parader at my drugstore and, and stuff. But I was hearing about Jakey e. Lee and, uh, you know, back then at that time, it just seemed like these people came out of nowhere. We know now from from history that Jake was an L.A. guy that had played in briefly in Rat. He had played briefly in Rough Cut. And, uh, you know, we found out later in history, I guess, you know, maybe we'll talk about this later, that even George Lynch was in the close running for, for the guitar slot, which is an interesting thing to think about. Uh, but when the album came out, I was ready for it. I was totally into it. Like you said, it the album cover, the song titles, it fit in with 
the images from Blizzard and Diary, this sort of hammer horror type of thing. And uh, I liked it. Uh, it's, I, I, I know I liked it better than, better than you did, but there were some things that, that took me aback a little, and you did mention the keyboards. And I remember feeling like there wasn't enough guitar on the record for me. And as I was listening to the album today, uh, getting ready for this, I haven't listened to this album in quite some time. So I gave it a few listens before, before our show. And I was sort of surprised at how much keyboards is on this record. I think at the time I couldn't quite put my finger on in, in my ears as a young kid, what I loved about Randy was is Randy always overdubbed a lot of guitars. There were always multiple rhythm guitars going on. There were all these little guitar fills that he would throw in. And this album seemed like it didn't have that with the guitar. It seemed like a lot of times it was just one guitar or it wasn't quite as heavy on the guitar. There's a lot more keyboards. The keyboards play a way more dominant part in this than they do on Blizzard or Diary. You know, Blizzard or Diary, you had songs that had, you know, Mr. Crowley has a keyboard intro. Goodbye to Romance has that little keyboard line. There's there's uh, keyboards and spots on Diary of the Man Man, but here it's playing a real, I mean, there's times where the keyboards are louder than the guitar. And as a kid, uh, it was all about guitars for me when I was 12, 13 years old. You know, I wasn't probably the only keyboard player that I, that I, that I was willing to accept was uh, John Lord from Deep Purple because his keyboard sounded like a guitar when he played. So for me, I was a little taken aback by there not being enough guitar I was a little taken aback by how much keyboards there were on it. But otherwise, you know, I, I, I liked it. I, I loved the Bark at the Moon, uh, the song Bark at the Moon. Uh, there was a lot of things on here that made it feel like a continuation of me from Diary. Although, again, it sort of feels like it came up a little bit. I guess that would be a theme for this. And as we go through the songs, you mentioned this already, that you can almost take every song on this album and say, okay, this is the SATO of this record. This is the, you know, and even though I liked them, it, it all came up a little bit short for me. It came out under Diary and Blizzard of Oz. So it was a little bit of a letdown in that sense. Uh, you know, I was, I, I didn't know what to expect. I, I was hoping that it just reaffirmed for me that, that Randy couldn't be replaced, you know, and I just, I couldn't help but listen to this record and think at times like, man, if what would Randy have done with this as much as I like Jake's playing. Uh, and I think he has some great, great playing on this record. There were just times where it seemed like the guitar, and we'll get into this with the, with the songs where it just kind of felt like, maybe it was almost like a demo, like they didn't finish putting all the guitars down or something. You know what I mean? There's just times where there's just too much sort of, uh, too much sort of space there, but also to be mentioned, I mentioned this in the introduction that uh, they had scripted videos for this, for this album and MTV is in full swing at this point up, you know, up to this point, there hadn't been any Aussie videos like this. They had live clips for speak of the devil, but these sort of actors and scripted out videos. So that, I love the Bark at the Moon video. That was just, as a young kid, just starting to discover uh, 
that I liked this kind of stuff years, years later, you know, me and you are both hammer horror fans, you know, getting into this kind of imagery castles and, and, you know, smoke and fog and cemeteries, Black, Black Sabbath did the same thing with the, the song trash. They had a video for it. So that was exciting that I was seeing Ozzy on MTV. They were playing the song bark at the moon, like crazy, you know, the video all the time on MTV. So tired that video got, got played a lot. So although I liked the record, and I was happy to have another Ozzy album. It was exciting because, again, I had all the back catalog up to that point of Ozzy and Sabbath. So it was the first time where I was sitting, waiting for something to come out, you know, whereas before I was like, all right, well, I was I was occupied because I was still trying to get technical ecstasy. I was still buying uh, you know, filling in the holes in the in the back catalog of of Sabbath up to that point. So that kept me occupied. But when it came to Bark at the Moon, I was sitting, I was ready for it. And even at that time, I, I liked it, but it did feel like a little bit of a letdown after Blizzard and Diary, which were just two albums that we talked about this when you mentioned Blizzard of Oz. I mean, there was probably not a day that went by from 1980 to 1983 that I didn't play blizzard or diary at least once or more so with those albums just so ingrained in me you know knowing those records so well this felt like a little a little bit of a disappointment and as i revisited the album i wasn't sure you know going into it there were some things that that that, that i did like uh, about it there were some things that that i reminded me like okay these were the things that that I didn't like about it. I think that the 13 year old me, my assessment of that record has pretty much stood through, uh, through time. It hasn't sometimes records. And you mentioned like, you know, you've, you've tried to like bark at the moon, you've come back to it. And, and there's records that are like that, that I didn't get right away. It took me years to get into them. There's bands that were like that. Uh, then there were records that I really, really liked when I was younger that haven't aged particularly well for me. And this is an album that pretty much I feel the same way about it today that I did in 1983. Like it. There's some cool stuff on it. It's also a, a little bit. It feels like the it, now I know it, as history, the ultimate sin, Ozzy would go even more into. You mentioned it being more sort of poppy, uh, melodic. Uh, he would go even farther down that road with the ultimate sin. And so Bark at the Moon was the last Ozzy album that sort of had some of these darker elements that I liked. But again, like you mentioned, there's times on this record and we'll go through it when we go through the individual songs where there's parts in it that are, that they're heavy, but then where I would have liked it to take a dark turn, a neoclassical turn, yeah. it goes into this sort of pop type sound, like slow down is one that jumps to my mind. Oh, of course, yeah. chorus in that song, the verse in the song is, is pretty cool, oh. but the chorus of the song, it just goes into this very poppy thing. And uh, it's awful. It, it is an awful, awful song. Yeah, that's I mean, that's not one like of the stronger but... songs. That one hasn't aged uh, particularly well. And what and we'll get you know we'll get into it when we get into the song. Yeah. So we'll we'll save it for when we get into the song because I do have some specific <laughs> thoughts on this. But a little bit with the history of this record too. Uh, now we we if you look at the writing credits on this album, you'll see that it says 
uh, Ozzy Osbourne song solely to Ozzy. And as a young kid, I didn't know any better. I thought that Ozzy wrote all these things. Here it turns out uh, that J.K. Lee and Bob Daisley, who, as we, I mentioned in the beginning, Bob Daisley was back in the band. I'm a bass player. I loved Bob Daisley. Uh, Bob, Jake, and Ozzy wrote this record. They were paid out a, a flat sum. According to Bob, he was given a flat sum of money to not have his name on the writing credits. Jakey Lee, his story is, is that he was sort of strong-armed by Sharon after he recorded his parts and basically told, look, you're not going to get any songwriting or publishing credits. You're going to get this flat fee. And he regrets, you know, regrets that to this day. Uh, one of many uh, shady uh, not, Sharon Osborne, you know, management. <laughs> yeah, you're not really sure who you who you can believe because I mean, I guess so many so many years removed. But I, Jake's original story was that he would get a percentage of the rights uh, based on on what he what he would write. He would get a percentage of the of the credit and 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 rights to the music based on what he contributed. And then when he brought that up, she said, "Well." No, that, that's not what we're doing. It's all Ozzy's getting full credit. And he said, well, that's not what it says in my, in my contract. And she basically said, well, you can go ahead and sue us. But while you're doing that, we're going to get another guitar player. Yeah, and you can get in line with parts. all the other people that are suing us. Yeah. You know, yeah. so basically that's strong arming saying, you know, you can you can go along with this and have nothing or or you, you, you can fight us on this and have nothing. You can go along with it and at least, you know. You, you got a band. Yeah. So and, that's, and, that's, and for Bob, for, for everybody out there, Bob Daisley, we've mentioned this before. Bob Daisley has a book called For Facts Sake, which is excellent. And you can get all of Bob's story in this. Uh, people will often say, well, why did Bob Daisley, he played on Diary of a Madman. They, uh, the Osborne camp didn't credit Bob and Lee for playing on that album. It was credited to Tommy Aldridge and Rudy Sarzo, both who did not play on the record, but were in the touring band. Uh, and people say, well, why on earth would Bob have come back if he had this dust up with them with Diary of a Madman and the royalties and stuff for both those records? Well, we won't get totally into it. Bob does get into it in his book for fact's sake. Uh, basically, to summarize, at this point in time, they were suing uh, Sharon's father, Don Arden, Don and Bob was brought Arden. back in with the said, well, we'll help you sue Don. So that's how Bob lands back in this. Bob, in my opinion, is, is the secret ingredient uh, to to the Ozzy Osbourne band. He's the guy that, in my opinion, of course, Randy Rhodes played a big part in the sound of those first two records, but it shows me uh, how important Bob was to the band also, because Bob was able to sit down with Jakey Lee. And according to Bob, he worked the same way that he did with Randy, where just passing riffs back and forth, helping him arrange things, him suggesting different patterns and riffs and everything. And so it's the, the lyrics and the songwriting of Bob Daisley, I think is a very important part of the Ozzy Osbourne sound. It was on the first two records. I think it's very important here. I think that would diminish a little bit, although Bob was involved with the ultimate sin, didn't play on it, but was involved in the writing. I think he wasn't as invested in that record 
as he was. This is sort of the last Ozzy record. Maybe No Rest for the Wicked. I think he came in and he was he was totally, totally in on that one. But uh, this, for whatever reason, I guess I'm getting at this album for me feels like uh, the last, the first three Ozzy records have a certain feel to them for me. After this, it would change and it would never have this, this vibe to Ozzy's music for me after this. This is the last one for me that has a little bit of that darker, darker vibe to it, even though it's, it, it has its poppier moments and, and stuff like that, which we'll, we'll get into. But uh, it changed after this record for me. We're talking about Bob Daisley, and, and you, you know, you mentioned that he had a bit of a dust up with the Osbournes. But I think it was mostly. It, it's it's funny because it went back and forth. It was like volleyed between. First, it was directed toward Don Arden, and then it was from Don. It, it's interesting because when when the court when the lawsuit was against Don Arden and Sharon, and we talked about this, I, I think we talked about this in our Diary of a Madman, but to reiterate, and briefly, initially the lawsuit was against Don Arden, and then Sharon was helping Lee and Bob with the lawsuit as far as um, having documents uh, to present in court. She was helping them build a case against Don. And then later on, Don helped Lee and Bob build a case against Sharon. So it was like, <laughs> yeah, it was the a stuff of soap operas. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It, it really is. Um, As the world turns. But where, where Bob was in all this is he's a musician that needs to work. And when, when, he, when they left Ozzy's band, he and Lee, uh, Lee and, and Bob reformed Uri Heat with a completely new lineup. And, uh, and they did two albums. And I think after the first album there was a moderate amount of success from it uh they got a video on mtv it did pretty good but it, it fizzled out pretty quickly and um whereas lee stayed and kept your eye heap going uh bob left um it was sort of a sinking ship and obviously he knew that there was more money to to gain from from working with ozzy who was not a sinking ship. He was actually the opposite. He was like a shooting yeah. star. Ozzy's career was on the rise. Like you said, with Bark at the Moon, I mean, it was it was all up and up. So, you know, I mean, he's got to think about self-preservation. And at the time, things, how they ended with Sharon and, and Ozzy, mostly with Sharon, were really bad. But at this point in time, it, it wasn't really that bad. There wasn't like, there was just sort of a mutual understanding, he, you know, it, it went the way that it went. He left or he was fired, but it wasn't so bad that when Sharon called him to come back, that, that he, that he wouldn't come back, that, that he would refuse to come back. Cause obviously he did. And you're right. He, Bob Daisley being involved with Ozzy, Ozzy's music, writing the music, writing the lyrics, helping write the music. Um, it, it's such a, a big part of how Ozzy's musical career was established. It was mostly, it was actually Bob Daisley's career with whomever guitar player was in the band at the time. And in this situation, it was Jake. And, and you're right. The, the dynamic between Bob and the guitar player, the dynamic that existed while he was, while they were writing the songs for Blizzard and Diary is pretty much the same 
formula for for Bark at the Moon. But whereas Randy was a more classically trained or classically interested guitar player and the style was different. Jake was more LA. Jake was more, Jake was more like, you know, the Hollywood strip and playing with bands like Rat and, and, and Rough Cut. And I, at one yeah. time he was actually considered to be a second guitar player in Motley Crue. Of course, that never happened. Even, and not yeah. to say that Randy wasn't from the same area. I mean, he was, and he played in Quiet Riot. You know, but Randy had like more of a European, which is yeah. odd because Randy's from yeah. California. Randy had more of a European sound, whereas Jakey Lee had more of an American LA sound. And to put a exclamation point on that is that Jakey Lee was briefly considered for Dio's band. That's right. But Dio, Ronnie wanted a more European sounding guitar right. player. And he felt right. like to emphasize what you were just saying, that Jake was too kind of LA American sounding and thus Ronnie too went flashy. elsewhere and got Vivian Campbell. Yeah, too, too flashy. And so he brought that, that, that dynamic came into the Ozzy Osbourne band here on Bark at the Moon. And with, Bark, with the song Bark at the Moon, the way that came about is Jake was warming up. He was doing an exercise where he was trying to stretch his pinky finger as far as he could. And while he was doing that, he was playing this riff and Ozzy heard it and said, what's that? And Jake said, oh, it's just something I'm messing around with. He's like, that's, that's great. Make that into a song. And we're going to call it Bark at the Moon because he already had the Bark at the Moon title in his, in his mind. He wanted to call it the album, the next album, Bark the Moon. So Jake's like, okay, if that's what you want. But he was never really liked it that much. And years later, in fact, in like just a few years, or a couple of years ago, when he was talking about it, there was YouTube clips and there was like um, news clips where he was talking about, you know, how he never got credit for Bark at the Moon. And everybody's like, oh, that's such a great song. And he's like, I know. But the reality was that at the time, he didn't, he didn't think it was such a great song. It was like something he was just, just a riff that he was warming up to doing some exercises and Ozzy thought it was cool and told him to make it into a song. Bob wrote the lyrics and, and there it was, Bark at the Moon. Um, and to give Ozzy credit, he does seem to have an ear for this type of thing. He has an ear for, for finding guitar players. Uh, what you just described with Bark at the Moon is very similar to Suicide Solution. Randy always told the story that he was just, that was just a little thing he used to warm up on while he was dialing in his amp. Yeah. Uh, he heard it. What's that? Randy says, it's just this little warm up thing that I do. That's cool. Make a song out of it. You know? So mm -hmm. Ozzy did have a pretty good sense of uh, hearing something and saying, go with that, knowing what kind of worked and, and what didn't. He may not have had the, the musical vocabulary to, take it beyond that that's where he needed bob and jake you know to say okay that's cool you guys work on that get something together around that but ozzy definitely had an ear for picking out cool riffs hearing unique talent in in musicians this is this is still really early in the whole la thing you know we're talking 83 here this is uh, you know, maybe Motley has Too Fast for Love out. Uh, Metal Health, I think, is out at this point. But it's still early in the flashy L.A. guitar player thing. It hasn't quite exploded like it would by 84, 85. You know, so Jake is, is, is a little bit, even, even though he, he, you look back on it now and you, you really hear that in his sound. He, he was, you know, he was a little cutting edge 
at that time, getting on the big stage like this. We mentioned uh, George Lynch earlier. George Lynch apparently was pretty much had the gig in the bag. He was traveling with the band. He was playing on sound checks. And this, I guess, according to George Lynch, and I've heard this from other sources too, you know, George at the time obviously wasn't in Dawkins. He had short hair because he had some kind of day gig, like, you know, driving a bread truck or something like that. So he had short hair and uh, Ozzy didn't like his hair. He didn't like his his particularly like his sound. And, uh, you know, they decided to audition some people. Jake walks in. Jake looks like a total rock star. And. Ozzy looked at George and was like, you're out. He's in. (laughs) And that was the other other thing is that. Dana Strum gets credit because part of part of the folklore of this, you know, and there, there's a lot of a lot of different versions of things. Of course, we mentioned in our our Dio Holy Diver podcast that Jake auditioned for Ronnie, and Ronnie thought he was too flashy. And Wendy and Sharon were friends, and and Wendy told Sharon about Jake, and the next thing, Jake's off and he's in Ozzy's band, and that's kind of how it was presented in, in Dio's book. But I've also heard that Ozzy went back to Dana Strum and Dana said, well, I got another guy for you. Not like Randy's a little different, but he's probably the guy that you need. He's good. Check him out. And that's how Ozzy was introduced to to Jake. Um, And Jake probably was the guitar player that that Ozzy needed at the time. Um, I'm not sure if Motley Crue speak of the devil, not speak of the devil, shout out to devil was uh, was at at this point. I know that they toured together, Motley Crue and Ozzy, and Motley Crue were touring for Shout Out the Devil. But I'm not sure if it came out before Bark at the Moon or, or not, or around the same time. But So the L.A. scene was was starting to really kick into high gear. You know, the, the bands that were only relegated to that scene, the only known by the people that were in that circuit, were now starting to become more well-known. Rough Cut now was signed to, I think they were signed to Warner Brothers um rat was out of the cellar well they already had the the ep out of the cellar so so the la scene was starting to come up choir riot metal health i mean that was a huge album that was on the rise so this this type of music now was trending yeah and having jake and ozzy's band put ozzy right yeah in that scene and that's it it's probably where ozzy most needed to be because i think that at this point if he was continuing the tradition of like an english rock band sort of sound you know with 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 randy's style at least as it manifested itself into the music of the of of ozzy of the first two albums along with bob daisley and lee kerslick it might have been sort of antiquated for this particular point in time so in theory it it all worked out for the best It, it just that I, I think where it, where it fails is that there wasn't enough guitar and guitar that, that raw, that, that, that flashy guitar sound was so much a part of these bands that were coming out of California at this time. Um, and, and that would sort of happen not to jump too far ahead, but that would sort of happen a little bit more on the ultimate sin. But right here, I, I, I think that it's kind of strange that you take a guitar player like Jake and you take him from that scene, you put him in this band why you didn't hear more of that and why you heard so much Don Airy, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's kind of a strange thing. And, but I mean, Maybe despite of that, I mean, the, al- the album went on to be really successful. So it didn't hurt anything. It's just that 
Yeah, and I'm trying to remember who I heard say this. It might have been Warren Demartini because Jake and Warren were were friends from rap. They were apparently roommates. I think it was Warren that said this about how when he heard Bark at the Moon, he felt like there wasn't enough Jake on it, and he knew him very well. So he felt like he, he didn't really shine through on that record. It wasn't until The Ultimate Sin, which has a lot more guitar on it, rhythm guitars and, and lead guitars, just a more of a guitar sound, you know, not getting into the production of that record, but. Yeah, uh, and go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just gonna say that, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe it's Jake's first time in, in, a, in a big recording situation like this. The album is produced by Bob, Ozzy and Max Norman. Max right. Norman being the person who produced Blizzard and Diary. So he's certainly not a guy that was a, adverse to lot, lots of guitars in the mix or something, but just maybe something somewhere along the way, they must have made a decision that, you know, they were gonna incorporate and work more keyboards into the sound and somehow, like you said, there just isn't as much guitar on this as you would expect from considering it's again, this bubbling LA scene. I just looked by the way, Shot at the Devil came out in September of 83. So you've got this scene is starting to really happen and Ozzy's right there. I think this was a con conscious decision by his management even before this when they brought in Rudy Sarzo and Tommy Aldridge. I think they realized that they had to make the band look younger hipper younger looking guys that fit in with what was happening at that time going back and getting somebody as much as i love let's say gary moore or you know somebody who was more an older maybe more established uh, guitar player from the uk I, I think that they consciously wanted the band to be the opposite of dio where dio wanted it to be more european yeah. i think they wanted it to be more la to be more younger LA to fit in with this scene that was happening. And I think it serves true where they would even go with the ultimate sin. They would go even farther down this road, but this is the beginning of that for me, Ozzy really trying to sound like, you know, what's happening at the time, the LA scene, trying to Americanize the sound of his band in some ways, maybe in the hopes of radio airplay or, you know, just more commercial success. That could be. There were also some, some difficulties when they were recording the album. One of them was Tommy Aldridge. While Tommy Aldridge was a really strong, powerful, electrifying, live drummer, he wasn't very good in the studio. Uh, some people, Bob Daisley, surmised that he had a tendency to overthink what he was doing. And it would take him multiple takes to get something finished and they went over schedule laying down the drum tracks we finally got them um it, it just was was kind of a, a fail so the record label was putting pressure on them to to get this record done by a certain amount of time and then they kind of rushed through a mix bob heard the first mix and and all of everybody involved ozzy was like oh this this, this doesn't sound good we need to go back and we we need to we need to fix this. So they did a remix, and Bob said that that changed things. It, it sounded a lot better. By contrast, it sounded great. But then, after some time had passed, listening to the album still wasn't the best mix that it could have been. But initially, it was so much better than the first mix. We just and that coupled with the fact that we were under pressure 
to get this record out. We said, okay, this is it, you know, done. Um, so I think maybe one of the reasons why Jake's guitar is kind of subdued overall might just be the mix. It, it does, it, it's a, it's a strange mix. I mean, the, the keyboard's so loud and the strings and, yeah. and, and some of the songs, it's like so overwhelming. And it, this is a rock, it's a hard rock record. It's a heavy metal record, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, these are elements that aren't really, I mean, you can, certainly they, they, they can sit comfortably in a mix and enhance some of the mood, some of the vibe, but they shouldn't be as prominent as they are. Um, but yet they are, I mean, they're, they're really loud in the mix. So I just, there's a couple of things that, that I didn't realize at the time, but years later that I've, I've attributed to probably one of the reasons I don't enjoy this album as much as I could. And, and one is the mix. It's, it's the, the keyboard being so loud in the mix, the strings. And, and the other thing is the sequence. And, and there's a, there's two different sequences. There, there's a U.S. sequence and there's a U.K. sequence. In the UK, and I was just thinking about this the other day, at, at how much better the UK sequence is, because the US sequence, I, I always thought that you're no different. While it's a pretty good song, it comes in too early. It's almost like the You Can't Kill Rock and Roll. It would be like putting You Can't Kill Rock and Roll after Over the Mountain. Um, yeah. It's too soon. And the UK sequence puts that out one song later, and um, so you have the one-two punch in the UK mix of rock and roll rebel starts the album, then bark at the moon, then you're no different. And then it ends with, I think it's so tired. Now you see it. Now you don't. Yeah. So now you yeah see the it. album ends with here. I'll, I'll read to everybody what, so the U S version of the album is, uh, bark at the moon. You're no different. Now you see it. Now you don't rock and roll rebel side two is center of eternity. So tired, slow down and waiting for darkness. The European edition starts with rock and roll rebel bark at the moon you're no different now you see it now you don't side two starts with a song called forever which is journey to the center of eternity uh just with a different title then so tired then waiting for darkness then the song spiders right which shows up as a a, uh bonus track if you have the uh reissues of this record so you're right it is a very different i mean the album starts with rock and roll rebel instead of, instead of bark at the moon. And yeah, it is, it is a very different uh, sequence. So now personally me, if I was in charge of the sequence, I would put bark at the moon, then rock and roll rebel. And then you're no different. I think that'd be cool, but rock and roll rebel, you know, you got the one, two punch of rock and roll rebel and, and bark at the moon. And then you slide into something a little bit softer and, and that's pretty cool. And then you, you know, you kick it back up with uh, now you see it. Now you don't. Um, so that, that probably would have changed my opinion of it if I heard the songs, if I was introduced to these songs in a sequence that had a little bit more excitement infused in it. But the U.S. unfortunately did, didn't have that, that same effect. Um, so th- those two things, it was a mix, the sequence of the songs, getting into some of the more mellow stuff a little bit too soon or having the mellow stuff kind of like interspersed within the songs that were a little bit more energetic and exciting it, it once the energy level got up then it would go back down then it would go up and then it go back down it was like too uh evenly spaced i guess and without having like these these moments of continued energy 
and then a little pocket and then some some yeah. more energy. It, it just there just should have been some more rock and roll energy with this with this album and and there really wasn't. I mean, it was like, well, we'll go from song to song. We'll we'll make our our comparison yeah. between this and, and the previous records. All right. Well, we'll get into this song by song thing here in a second. One last little little thought here, just a little bit of trivia. You mentioned that Tommy Aldridge having difficulty in the studio. Well, they eventually brought in Carmine Apice, uh, brother of Vinny Apice, who played, you know, Vinny, of course, played on Mob Rules and Live Evil and would be in the Dio band. Carmine, uh, his older brother, uh, famous for playing with Vanilla Fudge, Rod Stewart, uh, Beck Bogart Apice, various other projects. So they bring in Carmine to help with the mixing and the recording of the drums, not playing, but he just came in to help get some the sounds together. And that's why, uh, so Car Carmine would eventually then tour, briefly tour with Ozzy for Bark at the Moon. And that's why if you see the Bark at the Moon video, you will see Carmine in the Bark at the Moon video. So that's just a little bit of uh, trivia for everybody out there. <laughs> and then it, what's interesting though is they, <laughs> So they, yeah, they got Carmine in the band, but Carmine ended up and he, he toured with the band and he ended up being too big of a name because he was doing seminars as he was on tour, drum seminars, as he was on tour with Ozzy. And uh, it's kind of funny because somebody after, after Carmine was like, oh, they, they said um, to Ozzy, they said, why, what happened with, with Carmine? And they said, and Ozzy said, "Oh, health problems." And they said, "Oh, really? That's what, what was what was what was wrong with Carmine?" It's like nothing. He was making me sick. <laughs> Man, you know, he had an ego. I mean, and, and rightfully so. I mean, he, he's a great drummer. He was a he was big well, name at that time. Well, no, he was too yeah. big of a name to be in a band. But yet, when he joined the band, he said he wanted to be one. He said he wanted to be a band member. He wanted to be one member in a band. He didn't want to be the main guy. Which would have been really interesting if Carmine had stuck with the band, or let's say if Carmine had been in there for the writing sessions for, for Bark at the Moon, because he is a guy that does have some writing chops. He does write, he can sing some. In some ways, he's, he's very much like Lee Kerslake. Lee Kerslake mm -hmm. was able to write, Lee Kerslake sang, so he was able to help out when... Uh, you know, the story goes songs like Flying High Again and Diary of a Madman were demoed out with Lee, Lee's vocals, you know, and that's how they presented those songs to, to Ozzy. So I think Carmine would have fit kind of that same role that that Lee Kerslake had. And it would have been interesting to see. But like you said, I think he was just too big of a name. And, you know, with this, this, this starts the point now with Ozzy's band where you were mentioning it earlier where there are just lineup changes every time you turned around, you know, you had Pete yeah. Ray was in the band for a cup of coffee. You had uh, the guy with the cheese grater. Uh, what was his name? Don Costa. Don yeah. Costa. yeah. You know, right. You just, and now it starts, it's like a rotating, uh, rotating thing here. That, that was, that was prior to this. They, they had established uh, Bob when, when Bark the Moon was underway, when the production was underway, it, it was Bob and it was, it was Jake. Uh, but what's funny was Bob wasn't in favor of them getting rid of Tommy at the time because he had recorded. They finally got through and then they fired him. And it's like, well, <laughs> OK, he's not good in the studio, but he's good live and we're getting ready to go out on a live tour. It's like it's kind of like, you know, 
closing the gate after the dog gets out. I think it was the expression that he used. It's like, well, that okay. If you're going to do that, you should have done it before you started recording the album. But now the album's done. His drums were on it. We're getting ready to tour. We we need them. So they took Carmine out and tour, and that didn't end. That didn't go too well. So then they they fired Carmine and they got Tommy back. And and you know as per usual, he was great live. He he was great in the live band. So yeah, but it was yeah. like you know he's out. He's back in. You know, and it, it just gets kind of confusing and, and, and kind of sort of convoluted, um, which that was sort of the way things were ever since Randy. I actually, even before that, when the whole thing with Lee and Bob yeah. them leaving and then Tommy and Rudy and, and then Randy dying and then Brad Gillis and then from Brad to, you know, Brad went back to Night Ranger and then Jake came in with Don Costa. Don Costa was out. Bob was in and Tommy was in and then Tommy was out and Carmine was in and Tommy was back in. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> yeah, of crazy. It's, it's like all in, in a span of like basically a year and a half. Yeah, and it would continue like this. I mean, Ultimate Sin then would have Phil Sassoon and Randy Castillo and then Bob would be back for No Rest with Wicked. And it was just... And as a young kid, I've said this before that I, you know, it, it, it felt like I wanted to, and this is what's going to start happening with Black Sabbath too, is, is that you want to, you know, I had all my pictures of the Blizzard of Oz on my walls and everything. And you want to cheer for this is your band. These are your guys. And when it's constantly changing, it's just. Uh, Lose its identity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But. All right, well, let's uh, let's jump into the album. So we're going to go here with the uh, we'll go with the U.S. track listing for the record. The album opens with uh, "Bark at the Moon." I really can't hear this album opening any other way. I think it's a strong opener. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of Ozzy's. You know, if you were to maybe "Crazy Train," him maybe this song might be one of his most recognizable uh one of his top most recognizable songs it's certainly up there you know it's a song that gets heavy rotation on classic rock radio it's stuck in his uh set list for for many years uh i think it's a great album opener the riff jumps right out at you uh here's an example of where there is a lot of guitar on it the guitar is driving the song uh the i always love the the uh you know the, the part right before the chorus and as he's always waiting for you know i always thought that was awesome thought the guitar solo is, is maybe jake's best guitar solo in this song that outro solo that he plays is is kind of uh you know almost a signature thing uh mm -hmm. for jakey lee uh and the riff itself it's kind of a quirky finger twisting riff you mentioned earlier that it was like a warm-up exercise thing that he did and it sort of ushered in this hot LA guitar sound you know these guys with lots of technique and everything and Jake is just uh, you know flexing his muscles here uh, right away I always dug the song I always liked the video uh, love it thought it was a great album opener it's a good it's a good song and it is a good album opener it gets things charged up um, high energy good good song to open the album with um like i said though earlier the thing that kind of bothers me is how it just drops out and bark at the moon <laughs> okay i mean it's just it, it, i guess that's the chorus and it's not really integrated with the rest of the song so it's just kind of strange 
Um, it, it seems a little underdeveloped, but everything else in the song is is pretty cool. It, it moves into that. I guess I guess it's that bridge part. They cursed and buried him along with shame and told yeah, his, yeah. his timeless soul had gone. Yeah, I mean that that's cool. Um, but it's it's just that weird like drop out and then bark at the moon and then Ozzy laughing. It's just it's kind of silly. Um, but yeah, for, to start the album out with, sure, it's cool. Definitely gets Jake fired up. You know, you you hear the new guitar player. He's, he's fast. He's flashy. Yeah, it's good stuff. And I thought the lyrics were, were great on it too. This was just right up my alley at this point in life. And even now, you know, the whole werewolf horror type lyrics, I think it's just fantastic. Yeah, that, that, that's the thing too. It's like you, you mentioned the hammer aspect and, and there is that in the video with, with the costumes that they're wearing. They're, they're wearing the Victorian uh, like yeah. capes and the, ruffled shirt but the the makeup and we, we should probably mention this earlier because it's kind of a big part of this album was the the elaborate makeup that ozzy has i mean all these like these strands of hair were were put in like in, yeah. in almost one by one and the makeup took several hours and, and his claws and everything it was done by greg canham who at the time had done the movie the howling which is a great werewolf movie if you're into to horror and if you if you're into werewolves and you haven't seen The Howling, you, you have to see it. Uh, and also, uh, music-wise, Greg had done the um, the effects in, in Michael Jackson's Thriller. So um, it was more of a, a kind of a contemporary thing. The Howling was a movie, I think, that came out in 1981, I think. Yeah. And of course, Michael Jackson's Thriller was 82. I just looked it up because I was going to mention that, that this was the era. I mentioned MTV earlier. MTV is just yeah. you know, exploding. Michael Jackson's thriller, this, the, this hammer, the uh, horror uh, vibe to Michael Jackson's thriller, this sort of fit right into it. Ozzy shows up with a big, you know, looking at it now, it doesn't seem like a big production video, but it was the album cover and yeah. him in the costume. And like you said, you know, having to put all that makeup on this to sort of just fit in with uh, what was going on at that time, like Michael Jackson and, and everything else. And, and it jumps out at you, you know, the video is cool and fits with the, uh, the lyrics of the song and everything. So, so for me, it's a strong, it's a, it's a really strong opener. And I always just, uh, you know, dug the, uh, dug the lyrics, you know, howling in shadows, living in a lunar spell. He finds his heaven spewing from the mouth of hell. Yeah, <laughs> Very Bob Daisley, you know, yeah. who wrote the lyrics. Yeah, it's like a Mr. Crowley type of vibe. And when Bob was, was in that mindset, he could, he can really, uh, he can write stuff like this really, really, really well. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, next is uh, You're No Different. Now, I do really like this one, but it does have a little bit of the what I was describing earlier, like not enough guitars in it for me. Like it's really carried by the keyboards, the verses, mm -hmm. at least. Although the spot in the song where it goes into the uh, can't you see, can't you see, you're not different to me. There's like kind of a the song drops down into this very minor key, dark sounding riff, which I thought was really cool. And again, it, it sort of is the, the contrast for me on this record. It's like I wanted to hear more of that darker sounding stuff. 
yet we were getting more of this sort of the verse of this song, you know, which is more keyboards. The guitar is just doing these little volume swells and stuff. Let's see. Say that Jake has a pretty cool guitar solo in this. I also do really love Bob Daisley's bass line. In this one, he's playing a fretless bass and mm-hmm. he has a yeah. pretty melodic like uh, bass Very line. Cool. But it's really the bass and the keyboards that carry the verses in this song. It's, it isn't really until you get into that, can't you see, can't you see, you're no different than me, you know, that part of the song where the guitar really sort of drops down and gets, you know, big and heavy. It's a good song. I, I think, I, I, like I said, I think it's too soon in the album. I don't, we're not ready for that. We're still just getting in, into the album. The start of side one, we, you know, we have the, the first song, Bark at the Moon. It's got the energy. You know, you're excited. Let's have another song that kind of continues that. Instead, you know, we're, we're going down. Like, you're no different. And for all the, all of the mystique or all of the, 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 uh, excitement that that happens in Bark at the Moon with the lyrics and the images and and everything else. Now here it takes a it takes a left turn and it's like now I'm getting into like a more of a uh, humble um, you know uh, soul searching kind of a thing. I was a werewolf a few minutes ago, but but now <laughs> I'm just a guy trying to find out who I am and why are you so mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like what? Yeah, what, it could have been sequenced there? better. And don't and, be mean and, to me. You know, you're no different. <laughs> I was a werewolf before, but but now I'm I'm just the same as you. I'm just a regular bloke like the rest of you. I'm just a regular guy. Uh, and you're right. You know, and I think back again, making comparisons to some of these songs. This is maybe the "You Can't Kill Rock and Roll" of this record. Although I like "You Can't Kill Rock yeah. and Roll" better, and this yeah, would have been yeah. better served were with a sequencing like "Diary of a Madman," where you had "Over the Mountain," then "Flying High" again. You had two upbeat numbers. They should have maybe put "Rock and Roll Rebel." Uh, you should have gone "Bark at the Moon," maybe "Rock and Roll Rebel," and then yeah. into you know, your third song, then you drop down because it is a little bit too soon, you know, to drop down into something as, as mellow as this, but. Yeah. All right. Well, then it it picks it back up again for the next one for now you see it. Now you don't. Uh, Pretty cool riff in the beginning here. This is one being driven by the guitar, which is pretty cool. Uh, This is one not my favorite song on the record. The the chorus is a little bit strange, the way it's sort of bouncy. It has like a sort of a bouncy feel to it. Now you see it, now you don't. You know, that whole thing feels a little yeah. bit odd to me. And even the end of the song here, again, this, this is where making these uh, references to uh, earlier songs, you know, as the song is going out, you can hear Ozzy doing all of these like, uh, yeah, 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 and doing a bodge, you know, which he did in, uh, you know, No Bone Movies and at the end of Suicide Solution. So, again, it's a song that uh, I like it. I like that main riff, but it's it's a song that uh, doesn't sort of rise to the status of what we were getting on Diary and, and, and uh blizzard and it's and for me at this point isn't even as good as like bark at the moon it's just it's an okay song yeah i, I you're right when it when it has the uh, bodge 
Yeah, 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 yeah. It kind of has that Blizzard of Oz like outro thing. Like they're trying to recapture that, but it sounds like it was forced here, whereas it sounds like it was natural on on Blizzard of Oz. It was just something that happened on Blizzard. Here, it sounds like it's something that that was a little bit forced. It's it's not a bad song. Um, I I don't dislike it at all. I again though, it's a little overwhelming with the keyboards. When the keyboard, you know, it has the riff. The riff is pretty cool. it's what I want to hear at this point. I, I would have liked to have heard it a little sooner, but now I'm definitely ready for it in the course of the album. But then you got to throw the keyboards in there and it does that weird thing. Yeah, yeah. Between where did that yeah. come from? You know, like a sound effect almost. <laughs> like, throw some keyboards in here. It's been five, It's been three minutes since we've had keyboards. Do something. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I, oh, okay. <laughs> you know. It's like, yeah, it is very strange. But, um, yeah, now you see it, now you don't. And I don't know, I, I guess it's like a tongue-in-cheek type of thing. You have Bobby play on words. Here. You looking oh, at me, well, looking at you. Now you see it, now you don't. Now you don't, yeah. Oh, well, what's the song about? Oh, it's very tongue-in-cheek. Well, I, I can't figure it out. Um, hmm. I think there's something there's something alluding to some sexual act, but it's so vague, it's like, could be just about anything. So, yeah, as far as like... Um, connecting with the lyrics it's pretty hard on that one but the guitar riff is cool so you know like i said it gets the energy back into the record all right well, rock and roll rebel yeah next we move on to rock and roll rebel now this one does have a lot of guitar on it that main riff is pretty killer i put this riff up here with bark at the moon uh, i like the way jake has a it, after every chorus, he basically plays a guitar solo. You know, there's a little guitar solo in it. This one has a ton of guitar on it, and it's driven really well by the guitar. Uh, I love the part in the song. They'll try playing with your heart. They know it rules your head. If they could read between the lines, you know they'd see the real me. You know, then it goes into another great, great guitar solo. So this one's got guitar all over it and it's, yeah. it's it's all about the guitar on on this one which i think is uh which is great another another one that i really like on this yeah and it was built it was built over a jake riff that he was also something he was warming up to with and and ozzy heard it and and told him to keep going with it and jake was like okay you know he wasn't really too impressed with the riff himself it was just something he was warming up with but it makes a cool song uh sort of a confessional you know call to arms sort of a thing you know anybody that was thinking Ozzy was worshiping the devil he clears that up and says you think I worship the devil you must be stupid or blind it probably was a more subtle way or more creative way to put that into a song but he just comes right out and says it um you know so if there was to be any mystique or maybe somebody would think that Ozzy had this element of uh you know uh Matt, you know, a cult type quality or something that he, he wants to, to, to diminish that. Yet they're sort of playing off of his persona um, as being this prince of darkness is where it's sort of established in the album before or it's getting developed. Um, it's interesting that they kind of he kind of diminishes that in rock in the lyrics to rock and roll rebel. You know, he's like, oh, I'm just a rock and roll rebel. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not a devil worshiper. I'm not I'm not who you say that I am, how, you know, and I guess he was being hassled and hounded by religious organizations. So he kind of wanted to 
to put that out there. But yet his image and, and the persona that he was creating and, and putting forth in, in photo ops and photo sessions and the way that he was posing, the ways the the clothing and everything else was sort of making him this character, yet he's yeah. trying to pull back the reins on it. it. It's kind of strange. And, you know, maybe that's being too introspective because the song itself is cool. You know, it's a rock and it's a rock and song. And yeah, it rounds outside one in a, in a good way. So. And this is where we talked about this with Diary of a Madman, where Ozzy, the, uh, the character of Ozzy Osbourne starts to, starts to be born. The crazy madman, the bat, you know, biting the head off the bat, the doves, all this stuff. I'm a rock and roll rebel. I'm crazy. You know, this, this type of thing. Like you said, he's getting hounded by picketed outside his concerts and stuff like that. And really with Diary of a Madman, especially here with Bark at the Moon, I think is, is where the, this character of Ozzy, the Prince of Darkness, really starts to you know, become, become a thing. So in rock and roll rebel, you know, the lyrics are just sort of about all that. Like it, it conveniently wants it, he kind of conveniently wants it to go away sometimes. So it doesn't interfere with the, <laughs> the business <laughs> side of things or, but then again, he wants to use it to create this image that sells records that attracts kids to, to what he's doing. So it's like, well, you can't have it both ways. You're either one or the other. And, uh, in retrospect, I mean, I think he should have probably embraced that and continued on with it, at least during this period in time, because, I mean, you know, why not? He's on the album cover dressed like a werewolf. I mean, <laughs> that was probably not a good time to, to stop. I mean, the ultimate sin where he's dressed up like a fat lady at the circus might have been a good place to, to resume, like, hey, I'm just a normal guy. I'm, I'm from <laughs> L.A. I'm an English guy from L.A. And you could tell by the clothes I'm wearing. But here at this point in time, you know, he's still going with the, the gothic medieval, like yeah. you, you said at one point, um, image. And uh, yeah, keep it going for a little while longer anyway, until it gets too hot and you, and you have to. Um, so I, I don't know why he's backing off of it so soon, but he is. It's unfortunate. But. All right. Well, side two opens up with uh, Center of Eternity, or in the European version, the title is Forever. And uh, I always like this one. I think this is another one of the really strong ones that sounds like it could have been on Diary of a Madman or one of the earlier records. I say this all the time. I'm a sucker for tolling bells and choirs and stuff like that. So you get that at the beginning of this here, although it does feel a little bit like on low budget or something, you know, it doesn't quite We've got some monks at the beginning here, but they could, but the budget only allowed for six when they really wanted 12. Uh, here's another comparison to Blizzard and Diary. This is maybe your Mr. Crowley intro. You've got the bell, the monks, and you have that big church organ type of thing before the song kicks in. But it's another one that's driven pretty hard by the guitar riff. I love the fact that Jake throws in all these little like guitar fills, like right before the chorus comes in, little dive bomb things. It should be mentioned too, you know, we really haven't said this. So we mentioned that, you know, Jake was this LA uh, guitar player, but he was pretty unique in the sense that uh, he had a different kind of guitar sound. He was playing for all you guitar players out there. He was playing a Stratocaster-like 
guitar. I don't know exactly what guitar he used on this record. The Jackson Charvel. Charvel. Yes, but it's a it's a Strat like guitar, so it, it has that kind of sound to it, which was not very popular with a lot of the other players at that at that time. So that was kind of unique. He didn't have a whammy bar on his guitar, which for the non guitar players is this. Um, bar that allows you to uh, make the strings on the guitar go slack or you can pull up on it. Randy had one of those, uh, but Jake didn't. He sort of imitated this effect by pushing on the neck of his guitar. Uh, so that was kind of unique. And Jake did have some cool, cool little things that he, he did that I think were his own thing. And it sort of shines through on this, but it can't help. I can't help but think that, man, if Randy was on this, we would have gotten it would have been even more gothic -y and medieval sounding. Oh, we yeah. would have gotten more of a neoclassical vibe on this and, you know, maybe had just a different different thing with it. But as it stands, it's a cool one. Ozzy did briefly play this live in concert. You can hear clips of him with Jake doing this, doing this one live. I think it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so I, I always like this one because again, it sort of checks off just like bark at the moon had the horror lyrics to it. This one, you know, has this sort of, uh, you know, mysterious medieval gothic -y vibe to it, which I, which I dug. He definitely played it live. He played it, and when he he definitely played it overseas. And when he played it, he would always introduce it as "forever." Never introduced it as "center of eternity." Um, I agree to some degree with you. Uh, the the intro is really cool. It does have that uh, Mr. Crowley spooky monks church bell, or is it? A, it actually, sounds more like a dinner bell. <laughs> yeah and a church bell yeah you know so it sounds okay so it's a dinner bell and the monks getting ready for dinner whatever the situation is it's it's creepy it's spooky but then it slams into this <laughs> and it ruins the vibe put that intro before uh waiting for darkness you know that riff and waiting for darkness is is great and we'll, we'll talk about that and and there's some issues with that that I have as well. But the beginning riff is really, really cool. Um, that would be a perfect complement to that intro um, with the spooky monks and the dinner bell and, and everything else and the keyboards, the, like the uh, pseudo pipe organ. But yeah, so we start that out in that vibe and then it goes into this fast riff, like and it's kind of it's kind of light it's kind of happy it's a happy song and it starts out dark but it gets happy for no for no reason at all and the song isn't even about dark subject matter it's like bob's observation of uh how fast time goes and how we have no control over time and you know it's something that we can't grasp mentally and if we did it would you know be a detriment to our way of life and so on and so forth and it's a really introspective deep um thinking song and so it it doesn't really kind of correspond with the dark intro but you know you want to get that in there because you want to draw some comparisons to things i guess that they had done previously to that and don air is very good at it so why not assign him the task of of doing another of, of at least attempting to do another successful musical movement that was similar to uh, Mr. Crowley, which Mr. Crowley was one of the bigger songs off the album. 
mostly because it was it was consistently dark. It's dark subject matter, dark intro, yeah. dark music throughout the whole thing. It was consistent. This kind of goes from dark intro to happy and uplifting and whimsical and kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you describe it, but I, I don't really like the song. Uh, I never really did, mostly because I was I was disappointed. I was thinking, oh, well, when I first heard the intro, this is going to be something really cool. It's going to be something like Mr. Crowley. And then it goes, you know, it's so sing-songy and syrupy sweet. I I don't like it. I never liked it. And I'll I'll never like it. Yeah, it's one of these ones. I liked it, but it can't. It just felt like it came up a little bit short. It's like it was it was close, and maybe it's because of like you said, the the verse isn't the whole song in general isn't dark enough. It lets you down a little bit after that that cool intro. But uh, it's sort of a theme for a lot of the songs on this record that they're cool, but they're they just slightly miss the mark. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of that here, we're on the next, the next song then is So Tired. And this is just a wash in keyboards and strings. And although I do love an Ozzy ballad, probably more than the, the average person, I think Ozzy sounds good when he's in that zone. Uh, this one hasn't aged particularly well for me when I was listening to it today. It's just, it's so awash with, strings and keyboards and stuff that uh it almost sounds like uh like they're a farce or something like they're trying to make a song that sounds like some like a hollywood movie uh scene you know romantic scene in a hollywood movie or something it's it yeah the guitar solo is good in it but it's just like there's i can't even tell if there's any guitar in the verses of this song and it and again, it just makes me wonder, how does that, you know, why, why did that happen? Why would, I could just, and it makes me think, oh, if Randy was here, there would have been some classical, like, guitar stuff going on in the background that maybe would have brought the song, you know, made it feel a little bit better. But just like that keyboard part in the beginning of the song, da, 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 you know, it's so, like, uh two couples running in a field towards each other like you know and it's just wow it is just really i mean the video kind of redeems it a little this sort of phantom of the opera type of video it makes it a little sort of tongue-in-cheek because ozzy's this this, uh, you know phantom of the opera type character it's abraham lincoln at one point too isn't he like yeah yeah he sort of plays all these different right characters and everything but man just the song on its own haven't listened to this song in a long time and when i was as i was listening (laughs) to it preparing for this i was just like wow this is like you know, God, it's, it's, it was almost like you wonder if they were just sort of stickering to themselves, like, we're going to hand this to the record company and let's see if they think that we're serious, you know. <laughs> okay, right off the bat, this is, this is a song that would be more suitable on an ELO album. Um, it sounds like I can't get it at the song. I can't get it out of my head. That's on Face to Music, which is a great, it's a great song. But in the context of of that album and by the band ELO, um, it, it makes sense. On, on this album, coming from Ozzy, it, it's just bizarre. And it's uh, it's a romantic song. It would be something you wouldn't be surprised to hear in in a in the soundtrack of a, of, of a romantic comedy or yeah. something with like 
Ryan McNeil and Barbara Streisand. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, and I would hear this song and I'd be like, oh, that's, that's really cool. That, that song couples so well with the, the sentiment of that movie. But does it couple that well with the sentiment of this heavy rock record? And the answer to that is no, it does not doesn't even belong on this album it's it's a good song i like ozzy's voice it's a well-written song for the most part but strings keyboards yeah it's so the really guitar fun. you know i mean this is one of the reasons why this album is a fail for me it's like this is taking up prime real estate this song is taking up prime real estate on it on, on an album that would, should otherwise be a hard rock record now you could argue that well it's not that much different from goodbye to romance and and that's true but there's so much there's there's so much other heavy song vibes going on in Blizzard of Oz that 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 balance that you know you could have goodbye to romance because then it it comes kicking into you know the way the guitar just spills into suicide solution after that it's just um it's almost like you need a little bit of light before the darkness so you can really appreciate how heavy the darkness is this overall the, the album has its lighter moments so there really isn't this doesn't provide the contrast that would make it effective it th there's there's light in in the song son of eternity with with the verses and the overall vibe of that and then you go from that into so tired maybe we should have gotten something heavier or darker coming off of center of eternity but instead we just go up even lighter and um and that's a big fail for me um and, and the lyrics itself, I mean, they're just not, Goodbye to Romance, I think it was more successful in, in its context because we could kind of draw the conclusion that it was like Ozzy saying goodbye to his past. Yeah, new his, chapter his, in his life. Yeah, a new chapter in, in his life. He's saying goodbye to his, his past, a, a black the singer of Black Sabbath, moving into this new solo career. It has... It has significance. It seems honest. It seems sincere. It seems personal. This is just—it's uh, a love song. It's a love and song. goodbye to romance is carried by the guitar. There is that little keyboard right. line at the end, but that the song is carried by the guitar. Here, there's almost no guitar in it, and whereas goodbye to romance has more of a—I uh, don't know. This again just has more of a. Uh, this sounds like a love song, whereas Goodbye to Romance sounded more like a sad song. Mm -hmm. It was a sad song. This is a love song. And as a 13-year-old, I didn't want to hear love songs. I wanted, I wanted werewolves and, and monks. Yeah, I mean, and not on a like Nazi Osborne. Yeah, no, not on a Nazi Osborne record. I didn't want to hear love right. songs on a Nazi Osborne record. If I heard a ballad, I wanted it to be about Ozzy uh, showing remorse because he was he was too drunk and he, he screwed something up. You know, I, I wanted yeah, to yeah, yeah. something that dealt more with the tragedy of this Ozzy Osbourne persona, this Ozzy Osbourne character, as it were. Um, this is just a, it's a very simple, straightforward, common, run-of-the-mill love song. And um, Bob Daisley went on record to say that one of the things that influenced him to write this song was uh the king even though there is a similarity to elo that was wasn't part of the influence that kinks i'm so tired of waiting for you yeah yeah and so that was what influenced this and it wasn't really even that too far removed from that yeah. so tired so tired of waiting for you by the kinks this one's called so tired then it has the same sort of subject matter and the same sort of development 
in, in the plot of the song. Yeah. I, I think we spent way too much time talking about this. Song. Yeah, it's just, and again, it's another song that comes up short. You can't help but compare it. In your mind, you're thinking of Tonight and Goodbye to Romance, but it's nowhere near as good as, as those songs. It, it just it misses the mark. All right, next is Slow Down, which this is another one that sort of misses the mark for me. It's got a little bit of a feel to it like SATO, the rhythm of the song, mm -hmm. but the melody line is so, you know, so major, so happy, happy sounding that it just sort of like, I'll never bother keeping up with you. You know, it, it's you don't bother me. You don't bother so me. upbeat. It's it, it is just sort of, it just, it just kills, uh, you know, you know, the writings on the wall. Why do you ride to take a fall? And then the chorus of the song, it's just slow uh, down. You're moving way too fast. Slow down. You know, you'll never last. It's just too like, uh, you know. What I, what I like though, one thing I do like about, it, I like the line, your haste is making waste. That's such a great line. It takes <laughs> you back to first grade where if I might throw away like part of my, my sandwich, then the teacher would scold me and say, your, your haste is making waste. So it's kind of there's a lesson to be learned from slow down. No, I'm being I'm being facetious. That that's a horrible line. I hate hearing that. It makes me cringe when I hear that in the song. You know, and, and the keyboard that follows the the melody. Do 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 do. Oh man, it, it's just it's just awful. I I don't know how anybody could could think take this song seriously. Your haste is making way. Do 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 do. Pardon my vocals, but um, you get the point. Um. Yeah, it's just, uh, and you're right, the riff comes in, it's kind of driving like an SATO, you think, okay, this is going to be cool, but man, it just, and the, and the chorus is like, so like, slow down, woo, it, it's not dark, it's not heavy, it's just pop, it, it, the whole thing as a whole is like a pop rock album, and in, in nowhere in the research of this or in any of the background does anyone say or take credit or own up to the fact that that was the that was by designer that if they wanted to make this a more commercially accessible record. Yeah, it seemed to me like it could have been contrived to to get more things on the radio, to get more videos on MTV, even though only two videos are made, or to try to clean up his image a little bit so we can get some more people out to the concert, so we can get yeah. the religious to a wider out. audience. Yeah, and get the religious groups out of out of their hair, get get the PETA people and everything else that he's already established. Uh, you know, unintentionally get them out of the way so that we can, you know, broaden the audience and, and, and make more money, make more money for Sharon, make more money for the record label, which we should also note that at this point, he's off of Jet Records. Yeah. He's on CBS. And that was one of the things that also was one of the uh, political things that took time getting this album out, having to deal with getting off the, you know, Don Arden, Sharon's father, was the owner of Jet Records, getting off of the label and getting onto CBS and having an independent situation here with, with CBS Records. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, CBS Records was now, it was, it was a bigger label. And maybe that was part of the consideration, you know, getting this album a little bit more palatable, a little bit more fit for public consumption so that we could uh, yeah. keep, keep moving forward. As it were, though, Certainly after this record came out, or maybe at the time that it was, things were brewing, 
heavy metal and hard rock was it did become really popular all the rock magazines you know, hit parade or circus came cream was primarily a, a rock and roll magazine but they went full metal in in the early to well from like about this time 83 84 up until like 88 89 they even had like little spin-off magazines cream metal and, and and you know heavy metal issues heavy metal was was trending it was it was the thing so by the time even though they may have been backing off thinking that heavy metal image wasn't going to do them very well so we're going to make the songs a little softer in the background and brewing was actually heavy metal having a resurgence or a actually having a uh, a rise in activity and so i think by the time the next album came out they got more into they kind of like switch gears a little bit. And the, and the main difference between this and the record that would follow is that the record that, that follows the ultimate sin is more direct. It is more, it's, it's consistently a hard rock record. And, um, you know, there, there, there's, there's no, it doesn't suffer from an identity crisis. This one kind of does. And it's always seems strange to me that, that some people would rank this higher than blizzard and diary and, or, or say this is like a, a record that is deserving to be on the same level as the previous two. I, I just don't get that. I, I never could. I, I could never understand that. I always, I always was disappointed with it. And I always sort of felt like everyone else was too. It was recently just came to my attention that people really regard this album very highly. And in fact, more so than Blizzard and Diary. And that just that absolutely blows me away. I, I, but, you know, different strokes for different folks. There's no accounting for taste, but uh, yeah. Well, yeah, for me, it certainly does not live up to, to Blizzard and Diary, but uh, it, it does suffer too, because some of these songs are so, so you can just hear that they're trying to reproduce from the other albums. And because it, it doesn't reach those lofty heights, it diminishes it a little bit. Like we're talking about this song, uh, slow down the end of the song does that same thing that the end of sato does that dad dad like it keeps repeating the line at the end here it goes a little longer here and in sato it like it's just really twinkling keyboard yeah it doesn't have like a twinkling keyboard thing yeah like yeah and it has a thing like going over the top of it <laughs> yeah i did want to mention before we go on i forgot to mention this earlier and this is an interesting little thing that i just want to briefly bring up the lyrics to Now You See It, Now You Don't. Bob Daisley wrote them and he talks about how he wrote these about Sharon. And if you read the first line in the song, it's really, it's funny. And he even says himself that he's surprised that they let him, you know, write these lyrics and they put these woman, on yeah. the record. But here's the first verse from the song, overbearing woman, making it so hard for me. Now you've laid it down for all to see. Yeah, can I ask a question? Do you think that you can take a blow? This is why I always come and go. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that little, yeah. little tidbit in there. Before we moved on to the very last song on the record, Waiting for Darkness. All right. This is the Diary of a Madman, like song Diary of a Madman, I guess, for this album. Again, comes up short, doesn't live up to the lofty, uh, the awesome epicness, epicness that was... Uh, the song Diary of a Madman. 
all that though, it is a cool song. It's got a cool vibe to it. It's got the dark vibe to it. Uh, I love the, the, the feel of it. I do love the line. I know what they'll find. It's in their mind. It's what they want to see that whole, which I guess is sort of the pre-chorus of the song. I think that that's super cool. That works. Yeah. Uh, I do. This is another one though, that it feels weird. Like it's like, there's no guitar solo in it. When the guitar solo part comes up, Jake is playing these repeated figures that sound like they should be something underneath the guitar solo. Oh. He just like keeps repeating yeah. these lines and it's like, you're kind of waiting for the guitar to take off and it never really does. And it's just such a missed opportunity. Like it wouldn't shock me if they said like, Oh yeah, those, that guitar thing right there was supposed to be, the rhythm track and we just never got around to putting a solo over the top of it because that's it's cool it's a cool little line but it's just re these repeated lines and then the keyboards come in and they're doing these sort of uh uh you know jason stab type things you know like yeah. horror movie you know early 80s horror movie type type things and it just kind of feels like where's the guitar solo in it. And at the time, I just remember thinking like, wow, this is cool. But man, I just can't help but think that if Randy was here, you know, we would have gotten more guitar. It's, this is again, oh, another one where it just felt like there's something missing in, in the guitar parts for it. The thing about this song is it starts off cool. It has that creepy um, intro and, and the main riff if you want to call it a riff, the, the guitar, the way that the, the guitar part yeah, is articulated. Do, 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 do. Yeah, that little. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. I mean, when I first heard that, I'm like, wow, this is just kind of, uh, it's just, this is creepy. And it is up to a point. And then the, the pre-chorus that, that you mentioned, that's cool. But then it goes into that, uh, uh, that the main chorus, you know, when it just, it just loses it. That's where it falls apart. It just sounds so, again, it's like really like, waiting for dark you know it's like oh man it just kind of lost it it was kind of really uh keeping that creepy uh dark vibe going throughout and then it gets to that point and it just falls flat and then instead of a guitar solo it has that swirling orchestrated big string part and the keyboards bah, 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 bah. It, it sounds like it, it sounds like something out of a movie. It sounds like a, like, like in the middle of a movie, like there'd be a montage for like different scenes, like the, you know, yeah. like in, like in a Karate Kid or something like that, where oh, he just lost the championship, you know. Ba, 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 da, 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 da. So right there, you know, you, you you just lost the whole creepy vibe. You're getting into this weird uh, situation where it, it it's now it's moved into something that's a lot more cinematic and. I don't get it. I, I don't get what it's trying to do. I, I don't get the progression from where it started to where it gets into the middle of the song. I don't like the, the happy chorus. And then it comes back and it comes back around to the beginning. But by that time, it's like, ah, you know what? Don't even do it. You just ruined it. It was cool up until the point. And now, oh, you're going to try to go back to the beginning. Just, just stop. Just, just, just end the song. <laughs> That's kind of what I feel like. Yeah. It's like, no. Although I do like the way it ends with the da 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 That's pretty dramatic, but it's it was just a little bit too much kind of, and again, it just feels like it's sort of missing some guitar parts or something. It's, it's just, it's too much being carried 
uh, by the keyboards where I would uh, like you, to. You know what I'm talking about with you, you know what I'm talking about with the string. Well, yeah, I'm sure you do. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like, like it's that's like a musical, like it's like it's Broadway or something. Like yeah. ba, 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 you know, I want to <laughs> expect to see like dancers coming out, like ba, 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 you know, like like do like like twirling and stuff, and it's like whoa, 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 what's going on here? This is nothing like Blizzard and Diary, nothing, you know. And that's that's my my, my the bone of contention I have with this with this album. But on the upshot, these two bonus tracks. One up the B side is one of my favorite solo Ozzy songs of all time. And it's just so ironic that a song that was obviously written for the B side, one up the B side is, is one of the best, one of the best songs from, from the, the Jake yeah, era. It is a pretty cool song. In my Spiders opinion, is pretty cool. Also. Spiders is cool. It has it's kind yeah, of the little dolls. Of it's, it's consistent. Stuff. It's consistent. And it kind of has an Alice Cooper. Welcome to my nightmare kind of yeah. vibe. That's, that's what I think of when I hear that song. It's bump, bump. Yeah. You know, it has like a kind of like a little bit of a not too dissimilar from Waiting for Darkness, but it's consistent. It does have a, a dark vibe. I like Ozzy's melody lines. Um, the, the subject matter, the lyrics are cool. But one up the B side, man, it's really cool with Jake with the with the slide, and it's all guitar. There may yeah. be a little bit of keyboards in there, but this yeah. is an example of how this album could have sounded if it was more guitar oriented uh and and the song itself the lyrics um it's kind of a double entendre you know there's not really a definitive nothing you can take away from it as far as having some some deep significance and creatively lyrics are creatively written but they seem more relaxed ozzy is more kind of laid back in it it sounds like something that might have been from the blizzard and diary sessions later sabbath type of thing but i love jake's playing on it it just gets down and dirty with that slide and that that kind of a raunchier riff so for everything that i hated about bark at the moon when i got this single the bark at the moon three track 12 inch and uh you know bark at the moon is side a i flipped it over one at the b side i was like really really surprised at how cool it was um and then Spiders, I didn't hear until it was on the uh, 1995 uh, remaster of uh, A Bark at the Moon. And I was like, oh, this yeah. is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So the, the, the two bonus tracks, I think, are better than, well, with the exception of, let's say, for me, Bark at the Moon and Rock and Roll Rebel. Um, the two bonus tracks, one of the B-side and Spiders are better than anything else that's on the album, for me anyway. Yeah. So. All right. Well, uh there you go. Bark at the Moon, uh, an album that, uh, you know, it's a sort of a disappointment for us in some ways, maybe a little bit more for Darren than, than it was for me. But even for me, and let's face it, when, you, when you're following two albums as legendary and as fantastic as Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman, those are hard acts to follow. Uh, but it's still, I do still have fond memories of this record, MTV, Bark at the Moon, you know, just Ozzy right now is becoming, a, he's really becoming a household name at this point. And I was on, even though I wish that there was more guitar on the record, I did like Jake's playing. I was excited for it. Uh, I was looking forward to the next album to see where they were going to go. I was happy that Bob Daisley was, was back in the band. Uh, so 
even though I was a little bit let down in some respects, I was still happy that I had a new Ozzy record. And uh, I was excited about this new Ozzy band, Ozzy with a new guitar player, excited to see where it was going to go. And we're going to talk about where it's going to go. Uh, not in the next episode. We've got a few few other albums in between before uh, The Ultimate Sin lands up. But uh, those are my final thoughts on Bark at the Moon. What are, what are yours? Any final I words? Just want, I just want to get away from it. I just want to, I just want to run away from Bark at the Moon. <laughs> the next one. I don't have any final You don't thoughts. want to bark at the moon. You want I don't to want to bark at the moon. No, I just want to run away from the moon. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it, it's good because we're going to take a little break from the Aussie stuff. Um, it, it's fair to say that there's some peaks and valleys moving forward with, with the solo Aussie stuff, but there's definitely more excitement coming from, in my opinion, from Dio and Sabbath. I think we're, we're going to get into more of the passionate, uh, reverent conversation uh, in these podcasts when we start talking about the solo Dio stuff and we start talking about some of the upcoming Black Sabbath albums. I really feel a little bit guilty about not being as reverent as maybe some people would consider appropriate for this album but for me it just never it just never did what i what i hoped it would so yeah i i i knew this time was coming and i knew we'd eventually have to get to bark the moon and i <laughs> hope that i would you know to the, and i've listened to it a few times since we doing started doing the podcast and i thought well, maybe i'll turn a corner because i kind of did with born again you know i put born yeah. again down in, in some of the early podcasts and then you know we had john mcatee on we talked about it you know, I, I listened to it. I, I actually did turn a corner, but there's a lot, there's a lot of differences between an album like Born Again and Bark at the Moon. And, um, and, yeah. and really like when, when, I, when I was talking about Born Again, the, the, really the, the main thing with Born Again was, was just the production. Um, here, it's like, it's kind of the opposite. We have a, a really big, uh, bombastic production. We, we obviously the, the Ozzy Osbourne, organization has more money now certainly more than they did on blizzard of oz and definitely uh and uh, diary of a madman so it's like they threw a lot of money into this so it, it's it's way probably over budget it's it's too big of, of a production there's too much keyboards it just kind of ruins it i think it, the sweet spot for for the ozzy uh sound is definitely diary of a madman we can incorporate strings we can get keyboards in there but you know you gotta have the guitar the guitar has to be the central the guitar and the voice have to be the central characters yeah, no doubt in, in constructing this this ozzy osbourne uh record and unfortunately that that's definitely a miss on on bark the moon so all that said let's let's just move on move on to the next <laughs> one <laughs> all right well the next one for us is going to be as we are moving chronologically through the black sabbath dio and ozzy albums uh, the next album that we will be discussing will be dio's last in line so we'd like to thank everybody for listening to this episode uh, make sure you uh, like and subscribe to the podcast so you know when the next episode arrives. Uh, we do have a Facebook page, Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. If you're interested in hearing Darren and I talk more Black Sabbath, uh, if you don't get enough of us here on the podcast, uh, go over to YouTube, search for Layer of the Alchemist, and we do a feature there that we call Sabbath Sunday where we tackle various Black Sabbath topics as well as bring in special guests to discuss and talk Black Sabbath. So, all right, we'd like to thank you everybody again for listening. And remember, you can
can only trust yourself, the 19 Black Sabbath albums, and Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast.